0: Hey guys, this is Villain Esteem and uh, we decided to start reading our blogs for all of those people that hate to read because let's be honest, they're out there and that way you can actually just listen to uh, the blog posts on our podcast and you can do that either through Spotify, uh, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, our website VillainEsteem.com and there's like 15 others that I can't remember, a bunch of them that I've never even heard of to be honest. If you like what you hear, make sure to go check our website out at villainesteem.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, The Works. Um, Make sure to follow us on all your favorite social medias. So I'm going to start with the Are They Hurting Themselves blog about self-harm. Again, you can find this on villainesteem.com. I remember the first time I figured out one of my kids was self-harming. My body moved, but really I was just there as a spectator. Luckily, my body did the right things and reacted in the right ways to help my child. I'm grateful the mama bear in me popped out when she was needed most. I realize she might not be there consistently or for other people at that moment. Some people might have a broken mama or papa bear. I can't imagine my life going differently once it was all out in the open. I want to start by saying it's not your fault. If you're like most parents, you feel personally responsible for literally every act your child does. For me, when my kid fucks up, that's on me. I do my best to teach them and correct them, but for whatever reason, they did it, and I didn't prevent it. Super unrealistic, I know, but that's where my head goes. Either I didn't teach them the skill to get out of the situation, I didn't emphasize or differentiate why that act would be a mistake if chosen, I didn't outline consequences, or I wasn't there when they needed me. You know, the typical parent internal monologue, right? It was a huge struggle for me to accept the fact that their self harm was not my fault. They were going through things I couldn't understand, things they felt that they couldn't talk to me about, things that they felt they couldn't talk to anyone about. It was hard for me to finally come to grips with the fact that they had lives outside of the life we lived together. From this moment on, there was always going to be things I didn't know about or didn't understand. This was the first time where I got the old and stopped getting all the slang. Once I accepted that my children were tiny human beings and not these extensions of myself, I really began to understand the complexities of each child. It feels stupid to talk about. It feels common sense that each child is their own person with their own thoughts and feelings. This truly was an epiphany for me. Okay, I might be alone here. That's okay. My daughter was showing me all the red flags I needed to see to get me to wonder and Google symptoms, though I didn't know that's what they were at that point in my life. She had changed her look, for starters. Previously, she had been a gangly little mismatched girl. She traded out her fluorescent wardrobe for shades, oversized hoodies and beanies, and her stepmom cut her bangs. You know the kind, the ones that cover half your face. She was consistently compared to Violet from The Incredibles. I thought it was hormones and her trying to find herself. She stopped doing the fun things and opted to sit out to watch. She usually sat with her arms crossed and her knees closed tightly together, with her feet drawn up as closely as the chosen seated position allowed. Sometimes, to where her knees would almost cover her face, so all you could see was curls, a beanie, one eye, and bony kneecaps. I had a no-picture, self-conscious phase. I thought she was having one too, just a little more severely. I found clumps of her hair around the house. Think, I just got done brushing the dog clumps. More than normal, mind you, in a household of Mexican-American females, lots of shedding takes place. I thought the seasons were affecting her because she's more Mexican than I am. When she had cuts or bruises, she would brush it off. Say she hurt herself accidentally or that someone had done it to her. It started with her friend scraping her with a push tack. I was clumsy and raised in Montana. She had a similar upbringing. Bumps and bruises were normal in my childhood. Why wouldn't they be in hers? She didn't know she wanted to be when she grew up. She didn't talk about the future or the typical desire to be big and independent already, though she didn't want to be dependent either. She is adopted and has some trauma in her background. I thought she might be having a hard time trusting and adjusting due to that. She wasn't comfortable in her skin. After puberty, she didn't want to do the things that showed her body. She wore too big clothing and sat out of activities where she had to take her clothes off. There were times where she would have family swim days when she would sit on the edge in pants, a hoodie, and a beanie watching in the hot-ass pool room while we all had fun. I thought she was super hypercritical of her body or was hating the attention she was getting from her blooming body. She never liked the spotlight, and Mexican bodies definitely take definition through puberty. I got it. Or so I thought. I thought I was being the understanding and cool mom by letting her sit out, by letting her find her own way with her style choices. What I missed was that while independently, these are all signs of a normal, healthy, growing teenager, collectively, they're all signs of trouble brewing. That dark style that took color out of her wardrobe and brought her hair over her face, it was all to hide. She didn't want to be donist. Leaving middle school and going into high school, she didn't want to be in the forefront. She didn't want to be asked to join clubs or engage. She was depressed and didn't want the world being touched by anyone, because that would probably just fuck it up more, while also being lonely and wishing someone got her. Can you imagine? Wishing someone would step into her world and not fuck it up for once. Her body language closing up the way it did is also to minimize and attract attention, but more so, it's a protection thing. If you're in a ball, you can see everyone around you, but they might not even notice you. You're safer. If people don't engage with you, you don't get hurt. You don't look approachable. People don't engage with you. The hair, I'm still not sure of. I thought when I posted this that I would find out when I asked her permission to post, but I didn't. In my research, I found out that it could be a sign of trichotillomania, which is hair pulling. A common self-soothing technique is to play with your hair. After learning about it, I noticed this is one that I use all the time. Like all good things, too much is a bad thing. A self-soothing technique can turn into a disorder when you start pulling it to feel a little bit of pain to relieve whatever emotion you're feeling. Doesn't sound like something that makes sense when spelled out like that on a paper to a mental or health-minded person. When you're experiencing that much emotional pain, anything to get out of it is a reprieve. I get it, but it's an unhealthy way to handle emotional pain. The hoodies and excuses were to hide the experiments she was playing with pain. After I did my research and had a direction to go in for the possible problem, I still wasn't confident. I wasn't sure of my convictions. I wasn't absolutely positive she was hurting herself. I just had a good idea. I was fearful of how she would react when I confronted her. I was terrified it would damage our relationship. When it came down to it, as afraid as I was, my fears didn't really matter. My baby girl did. Even if she hated me for the rest of her life, I could get her help. The rest of her life might be longer. I'm sure for her, if it came, it came out of the blue when I asked her to go put on shorts and a tank top. It's been many years now, and my memory isn't quite photographic, but I believe it was in the colder months when shorts and tank tops would be tucked in the back of drawers or closets and forgotten. Being the defiant little shit that she was in her early teenage years, she fought me on it. She, I wouldn't tell her why, but I told her that I would meet her down in her room in five minutes. I started the timer when she got to her room, prompted by the stomping all the way down and the slamming of the door upon her arrival. I watched the clock because five minutes felt like five years. It probably felt like seconds to her, but for me, it was one of the most painful waits I have endured. I have fought with myself so much leading up to this, but it didn't pale in comparison to the reality crashing in with a five minute countdown. If you could accurately capture that feeling with a film, every suspense director would hire you instantly. Every stare down was miserable. I can't remember how many there were now, but I always count stares. Each and every one took total focus on each and every muscle required to descend. It was painful and excruciating. She met me at the door when I knocked. She was standing behind it like she was still undressed. May I come in? I don't remember anything else that was said because it was like entering a vacuum when I stepped into her room. All sounds were cut out. I couldn't hear the hum of the house, the sounds of her siblings, or even my own breath. I could feel it catch in my chest when I saw her legs, though. They had old and new scars all over her thighs. Though they weren't deep, it was clear that they weren't designed to end a life. But that there were so many. Even with my failing memory, I will never forget the pain that I saw scribbled on her skin and scars, or the shame written on her face. I don't know how long I held her, but she had to pull away first. These are the signs that my daughter showed when she was self-harming. Other signs you might want to be on the lookout for are bloodstains on bedding, clothes, towels, or tissues. I'm engaging in risk-taking behaviors. Apathetic about things that they would normally take interest in. Express intense feelings of worthlessness. Emotionally distant, they don't engage in conversation. They might express hatred or disgust for their body. Socially withdraw or isolate for long periods of time. Numb, unfazed by things that they normally wouldn't be. Sharp objects in places where they don't belong constantly overwhelmed think underwater and can't find a way out they feel like they've made a huge mistake they feel like they deserve punishment for something they might experience disassociation you might see visible scars or they might be highly impulsive and might be having unstable behavior if someone you know is showing these signs Please provide a safe place to check in properly. If you believe they're at risk, seek support service for professional guidance. Please text HOME to 741-741 in U.S. and Canada to connect with a crisis counselor. It's a free 24-7 support at your fingertips. In the U.K., please text 85258. And in Ireland, please text 50808. If you're suicidal and in the United States, please call 1-800-273-TALK or 1-800-273-8255. They also have suicide prevention resources online at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. That's all today, folks. I hope you heard some mental health stuff that you normally wouldn't hear anywhere else. That's our goal is to make it more accessible and easier to talk about, even though some of the conversations that we have might not be the easiest to have. Uh, If you like what you heard, please share on any of your social medias. We're on all of them and would love to connect with you and love to hear what you thought.